Welcome, you are listening to Unlocking the Truth, the podcast channel by Precept Ministries Canada. Come discover God's truth for yourself by studying His Word and deepen a personal transformational relationship with God. This series called In Faith Alone will get you deep into the Book of Romans. Dig deeper by following along with the Bible study, Experiencing the Power of Life-Changing Faith, the new inductive study series on Romans, available at preceptministries.ca. Now here is Mark Sheldrake with Unlocking the Truth. Hello everyone, it's Mark Sheldrake here, National Director of Precept Ministries in Canada. So glad you are joining into Unlocking the Truth podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Maybe you're listening on our website, SoundCloud, iTunes, or Spotify. Glad you're tuning in. We took the summer off, folks. It's September, and uh, we're excited to be back into the Book of Romans. We'll do an overview of what we've covered in our previous episodes in just a few minutes, but I want to remind you of a couple things that are happening within the ministry that you can participate this fall. Uh, The Cross Canada Tour starts September 11th in Halifax, and then I'll be traveling all across the country, wrapping up the tour in Nanaimo, British Columbia on September 24th, 2023. If you have not registered for one of those workshops, please go to our website, preceptministries.ca. Sign up today. Lord willing, all of the classrooms are full, and we're going to have a great time looking at the topic of Truth Speaks, answering the question, did God really say that? We're going to be looking at the Word of God And of course, we're going to be looking at the Word of God because that's what Precept Ministries is all about. And so I hope that you'll be joining in with us. Uh, Pretty exciting stuff happening this fall. I've got a really uh, hectic travel schedule going to be in Newfoundland as well. And looking forward to that. Our ministry's never been to Newfoundland before. And so cannot wait to go there. And so just a couple of other things to pay attention to. We've got plenty of workshops, plenty of online classes happening, and great opportunities for you to get engaged in the study of God's Word with other people. And so you can find out all the information about online classes, our in-person and online workshops by visiting our website. When you're visiting our website, also I have an open invitation for you folks Anyone wanting to join us in Israel uh, for our 2024 tour, registration is now open for that trip, April 2nd to April 15th. We will be in Israel, and I'll be hosting our Israel tour again. Looking forward to that. Our bus will be limited to 45 spaces, so you want to register early and make sure that you get one of those seats on the bus. Looking forward. I cannot wait to get to Israel again. I love Israel. And speaking of Israel, folks, we are heading into segment three of this podcast, which has a very heavy focus on Israel. And how cool is that, that we're going to be doing that now? Let me commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Let's review and then dive in to episode 10. Father, we do thank you for the time that we have and the technology that we have 
to be able to not only open and study the word together, but to use this tool to reach people uh, from all different parts of the world. And Lord, so we thank you for these uh, opportunities to go verse by verse through your scriptures, and we pray that even as we work through segment three, that this would uh, be honoring and glorifying to you. So we give you this day and this time now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Let's review, folks, because it's been a while. Uh, We wrapped up in June, segment two, and uh, we covered a lot. And so segment one, which was a total of four episodes, we covered the problem with sin and the solution being the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, In segment two, we looked at sanctification by faith, that salvation is by faith and not by works. Paul used Abraham as an example. Paul also used the example of two Adams. Uh, One Adam, sin entered into the world. The second Adam, Jesus, uh, salvation. Uh, Because of salvation, because of us being justified by faith and by the work done on the cross, we then are dead to sin, we're dead to the law, and we now live and walk by the Spirit. And these are the truths that Paul has brought us through up until chapter 8. And in chapter 9, 10, and 11, the focus is going to be all about Israel. We're going to get a look into Paul's heart for his people in just a few minutes. The best way that we can look at, and this is why we've broken segment three into three episodes, is that chapters 9, 10, and 11, they each focus on a different aspect of Israel. Chapter 9 focuses on Israel's past. Chapter 10 focuses on Israel present day. And chapter 11, of course, then focuses on Israel's future. And so there are a number of great things that we're going to look at. If you have not taken the time, I do want to encourage you to get the new inductive study series on Romans and study along with us. But even better is to get the precept upon precept, Romans part three. And really, you could do Romans part one and Romans part two, and then eventually Romans part four. But there's so many great things in this Romans part three, precept upon precept, that help build the stage to what we're covering. Things like doing lessons on the attributes of God and who God really is. He's omniscient, uh, omniscient, omnipotent, and uh, so many other characteristics that this uh, book covers. And then also it looks at things like the doctrine of election. And, and that's what we're kind of getting into today, not a focus on the doctrine of election specifically, but it's good for us to understand the purpose of election. And this is where we could get into some battles over theologies and doctrines because of the idea of God choosing. And so this is where we're going to break down this week's episode. We're going to break it into three parts. 
All right, three parts with many points. The first part will be the blessings of election. The second part will be the foundations of election. And then the third part will be Paul's anticipated questions on the theology of Israel's election. Whew, that seems like a lot to cover in a short amount of time. We're going to be able to do it, folks. We're going to be able to do it. All right, so let's look at part number one. All right, so part number one, the blessings of election are found in chapter 9, verses 1 to 5. Now, this is where we're going to stare into Paul's heart for a few minutes, and we're going to look and see what Paul has to say about his people. Verse 1, I'm telling you the truth. In Christ, I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow in unceasing grief in my heart. Uh, for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren and my, my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites." To whom belongs the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenant and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises? Who are the fathers and from whom is Christ, according to the flesh, uh, who is over all? God blessed forever. Amen. All right, there's a lot here in these verses, but we want to look first is we want to look to... Uh, Paul. And we want to look at Paul's heart. And Paul here says that he is in great sorrow and unceasing grief because his people, the Jewish people, have not come to the point of salvation by faith. Remember, Paul's entire letter, the theme of this whole letter is righteousness by faith. We've seen as we've come through all of these episodes that Paul has been talking about how salvation is by faith and faith alone, and we cannot be saved by our own banner or our own works. And how the Jews who were our slaves to the law and they have to be obedient to the law. But in Jesus, we, are, we can be dead to sin and we can be free from the law because we now live by the Spirit of the law, the Holy Spirit living within us, this new covenant. Now, we understand that the, there's nothing that the Jewish people can do by the law to make themselves righteous. It's only by faith. It's only by faith that they'll be justified. And this is what grieves Paul so much is that Paul has experienced the grace that has been extended to him through the blood of Jesus Christ. He's free. He's free from sin. He's also free from the law. And so he is one who is justified, and that is his prayer and his heart's desire, is that the Israelites would come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior so that they too could be free and have the free gift of eternal life. This is what Paul's heart is for the Jewish people. And, you know, I've spent a fair amount of time in Israel. I've been there four times. I love going to Israel. But it also grieves my heart to see all of these people, 
all of these Jewish people that are living in Israel, and they're some of them living the Orthodox life, this real religious lifestyle, and they are doing all of these things according to the law, and they have great passion and zeal to accomplish these things, but these things do not bring justification and righteousness before God. And I, I said to many people on the last Israel tour that, they, that were there, if only we could see some of the passion that these people have for God in our church today, maybe our world would be different. But it all, again, comes down to the heart. These people are doing this out of their purpose of becoming righteous, by earning righteousness through what they do. But Paul says it's got to be a change in the heart. A change in the heart that causes uh, this belief that Jesus is the one. All right. So in his heart, he's grieving and he's sorrow for, for these people to the point, to the point that he says in verse three, I if for if I if I could wish that I myself were accursed and separated from for, from Christ for the sake of my brethren. This is simply put, simply put in this manner, okay? It is that Paul would love to step into the place and take on the suffering and the wrath of God so that his people could be saved. This is the heart that Paul has. Can you can you be see it where he says in other parts of his letters and other New Testament scriptures where he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Is Paul taking on the imitation of Christ here where he would like to be the ultimate sacrifice, the one who takes on the wrath of God so that he could be saved? Well, this is a very similar uh, comment to what uh, Moses says in Exodus 32, verses 31 and 32. And this is after... Uh, Moses, you know, he's uh, been up on the Mount Sinai, but the people were making the golden calf that popped out of the fire. And so uh, when God tells Moses to go down, uh, he goes down and deals with it. But then he comes before the Lord again in verse 31. And he says, Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people have committed a great sin, and they have made a god of gold for themselves. But now, if you will forgive their sin, and if not, please blot me out of your book, which you have written. The idea that Paul would want to step into his place, that Moses would want to step into the place and be the sacrifice that God would relent his judgment on these people. And so we're seeing some greatness in Paul's leadership and within his heart that he would want to be the one to step in and take the punishment so that he could be saved, that they could be saved. All right, let's look at verses four and five, because in verses four and five, good precept people, good precept people like to make lists, and we're going to make a list. Listen to four and five. Uh, he says, my kinsmen, uh, verse three, according to who they are Israelites. And these Israelites, uh, Paul is about to tell us that there are six privileges of being an Israelite. 
All right, here, here they are. We'll read through. That whom belongs the adoption as sons, the glory, the covenant, the giving of the law, the temple service, and the promises. Uh, these privileges that come through. All right, we're going to look at each of them individually. Uh, first promise or privilege that comes is this uh, adoption. All right, this adoption uh, that Israel was chosen by God. Uh, Isaiah 43, verses 20 to 21. It says, The beasts of the field will glorify me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I have given waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. The people whom I formed for myself will declare my praise. All right, for the first thing we need to understand is that God chose Israel. Uh, they are his chosen people. Uh, this is the foundation for all of the other five privileges that are about to come. And we need to remember this. This is why it's so important for us to keep an eye on Israel. This is why so many people want to go to Israel and they want to be uh, in Israel because they want to see the place that God chose and they want to be in the place that God made himself present. And that's the second thing that Paul talks about is that second privilege is the glory. All right. The glory of God uh, was chosen and given to Israel, that Israel experienced the glory of God. And that takes us back to the book of Exodus. And in Exodus chapter 24, verses 16 and 17, listen to what Moses writes here. It says, uh, The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. And to the eyes of his sons of Israel appeared the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintops. Moses entered the midst of the cloud and he went up to the mountain and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And so when the glory of the Lord appeared to Moses and to the Israelites here in the desert, it's after that, and after that event that takes place, that God then gives the instructions to Moses for building the tabernacle. And this tabernacle that was built in the desert was set up as a way to approach a holy God. And so a people that had sin within them, as we know from one man's sin entered into the world, the tabernacle was then set up uh, for the way that Israel would be able to approach a holy God through sacrifice and through incense and then once a year into the holy of the holies. And then we know that the glory of the Lord that once hovered over them in the cloud then entered into the tabernacle, the glory of the Lord among men. Then we saw that after the tabernacle, 
instructions were given to Solomon, and Solomon then built a temple in Jerusalem. And when that temple was completed, the um, they dedicated the temple, and Solomon had a wonderful prayer to God, and then the glory of the Lord entered into the temple. And so all of these things come from this adoption. God chose Israel to be his people. God chose the land that is there. And so God not only chose the people, he chose the land. And then God displayed his glory to the Israelites. And they were able to be amongst God when God dwelled within the tabernacle, hovered over top of them, and was in the temple. Now, look at the third thing, the third privilege that comes, which is covenant. Covenant is so important here because the covenant that was made with Abraham, and we've got podcasts on on the series on covenant. If you've never done the precept upon precept study on covenant, please go back and do it because not enough people teach on covenant. And it's vital for us to teach on covenant, the promises of God, because they are absolutely vital to how the entire scripture unfolds. And so covenant uh, is vital. Covenants were made with Abraham. And the covenant with Abraham was that he would have an heir. And that his heir would go on to have many descendants and that they would become a nation. This covenant with Abraham was an unconditional uh, covenant. It was an everlasting covenant, meaning God made the covenant. Abraham had no requirements other than to believe in this promise and then to live in light of the promise. But God was going to do everything that he had promised. Not only do we have the covenant with Abraham, this everlasting covenant, we also have the Mosaic covenant. This covenant was a conditional covenant. God gave the law to Moses on Sinai. He brought that law down to Moses. The Israelites made a covenant with God. And when they made a covenant with God, the condition was that they would be obedient to the law. And if they were not obedient, they would be punished. And this was a blood covenant, which is a serious covenant. They, they sacrificed uh, blood and they spread it on the, on the tablets and on themselves, saying that if we break this covenant, it is worthy of death. And this is the law. This is the Mosaic covenant. God also made a covenant with David. And this covenant with David is an everlasting, unconditional covenant. And this everlasting, unconditional covenant was that David would always have somebody sitting on the throne from his line. This is the Davidic covenant. All right, there are other covenants within Scripture. There is the Noahic covenant, which is the covenant made with Noah that he would not destroy the world. Uh, with a flood again. And then, of course, we have the New Covenant, which uh, we can get into on another episode, but the New Covenant is the what 
comes through Jeremiah, comes through Ezekiel, where uh, the law would be written on hearts and we'd have a new spirit and a new heart and the Holy Spirit would live within us. All right, so these are the covenants that are made, but these covenants are vital. And the covenant started with the nation uh, or what would be the nation of Israel coming from the line of Abraham and Isaac. All right, so we also have that what comes next in the list is covenants and then the law. All right, so the law itself, which we just talked about in the Mosaic Covenant, is God gave the Israelites the law. Israel heard the voice. Moses heard it. They received the law, and they committed to be obedient. Okay, all of this to the to Israel. Then it tells us uh, in the list in verse 4, uh, then he also gave to the Israelites temple service. So not only can we label this as temple service, but let's label it as a pattern of worship. All right, so he gave uh, the instructions for the building of the tabernacle. Aaron uh, and the Levites were to take care of all of the priestly duties and service in the tabernacle and continue that in through the temple. And so God set up the manner of worship with his chosen people, Israel. And then we have number six. Number six is the promises. And these promises, he says into verse uh, five, who are the fathers. Okay, so uh, the promises that went to the fathers. All right, so the, the everlasting, unconditional covenant to Abraham extended to his son Isaac, then to Jacob, and then Jacob had 12 sons forming uh, the 12 tribes of Israel, which became really the nation of Israel. All of these promises that God had have passed through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and on to Israel. And so this unconditional covenant continues. This promise continues. Not only that, that these promises of this nation... But we also have the promise of Jesus, all right, the promise that a Messiah would come, this, that, that Jesus, he himself was a Jew from the tribe of Judah. Uh, he was born according to the law. And what's absolutely amazing is how Paul describes Jesus in verse 5. He says, uh, who is uh, to—who— uh, are fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh who is over all God blessed forever do you hear what he says about Jesus he says that Jesus is God blessed forever it's so good that these promises all come and they they end up pro the promise is Jesus and we know that even from the davidic covenant that that he would have someone on the throne forever, and that Jesus will one day uh, reign on the throne forever. God keeps his promises. And so God has made these promises with Israel. And this is one of the hard things to comp It's not hard to comprehend when we study God's word from, from uh, book to book and verse by verse, but there are those who believe that the promises no longer extend to Israel today, which we'll look at 
in next uh, the next episode coming. But the promises still extend to Israel. Israel is still God's chosen people, and there's still great hope for uh, God to do an amazing work in his people. And this is what grieves the heart of Paul, is that Paul knows all of these promises, all of these privileges that were given to Israel, no other nation had these blessings and privileges, but Israel had them. They were all right before them, laid out for them in the first five books of Scripture. He, they're all there for them, but Israel took all of it for granted, and they rejected the righteousness of God. They were chosen. The, the, the idea is that they were elected from the beginning. All right, so we could get into, you know, discussions on the doctrine of election for Christians today, but that really is a topic for another day. Why? Because context is king. And Paul is not talking about individual election in these verses. Paul is talking about the election of a nation, the election of a group of people that we know today as the Israelites. If you, again, want to know more about the doctrine of election for individuals, all right? The choosing of individuals. I suggest studying Romans part three, precept upon precept. If you want more than that, email me, info at preceptministries.ca, and we'll be more than happy to send you some information of where to start your hunt on the doctrine of election for individuals. But context is king here. And the context is king is so vital because this first five verses focuses on God's choosing of Israel as a nation, as a people group, the Israelites. All right. Now, that is very important as we move into the second section, which is the foundation of election, which is found in verses 6 to 13. Uh, but it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac, your descendants will be named. That is, not the children of the flesh, who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. For this is the word of the promise. At the time will come and Sarah will have a son. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also when she conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For, through, uh, for though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to his choice, would stand not because of works, because of him who calls. These are vital 
uh, principles here. Let me just follow through 12. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. All right, so these are important principles in these verses. But I want you to remember, I just stated this before reading 6 to 13, but I, but I need to state it again. Repetition is so important because these verses in 6 to 13 can be taken out of context. These verses here can be looking at, well, I thought you just said we weren't going to be looking at the doctrine of election based on individuals, but then Paul mentions individuals. But here we're looking, remember, context is king. How did God choose his chosen people? All right, how did God elect this group uh, of those we call Israelites? All right, so we want to make sure that we stick through this text within its context. All right, so this is not about how God chooses people, individuals. But we are looking at, in this case, two large groups of people in a few moments, that being how God chose Jew and Gentile. All right, let's look at verse 6 again, because there's some vital information here that we want to pull out. Uh, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. Uh, for they are not all Israel who descended from Israel. All right, so context. Remember, context is king. Everything that Paul is building out in these six verses 6 to 13 comes from these privileges. Now, remember, the last privilege that we looked at was that of the promise. The promise that comes... Uh, that were fulfilled through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then to the nation of Israel. And so, uh, when we have that comparison of the promise that all of these things happened, we have the contrast, and it is that the Word of God has not failed. Okay, so we can, we can insert here because of context, and it doesn't take us out of context, and it doesn't uh, help us go on to a, a rabbit trail that doesn't even focus on the words here, but we can add within the Word of God, we can add the promises. All right, so if you see, but it is not as though the promises of God have failed. All right, so this is so important for us to understand. Yes, the Word of God itself does not fail. In context here, the promises of the nation of Israel coming through the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is the promise, is that not all of Israel's descendants uh, were of Israel. So what does Paul mean? It means simply this. Not all physical descendants of Abraham are true heirs of the promise. Not every single child born to Abraham are included in the promise. Whew! That's really important for us to know. And I want to take us back to Genesis chapter 21 and Genesis 21 uh, verse 12. And listen to what is written uh, in, these, in this verse. 
All right, Genesis 21, 12. But God said to Abraham, do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac, your descendants will be named. Remember, the promise, the covenant that God made was that he would have an heir. But you see, in that waiting period of when um, Sarah was sort of losing hope as a, as a barren woman that she wasn't going to have a child, she sent Abraham off to uh, lay with Hagar, and Ishmael was born. And, but that is not what is a part of the promise. Ishmael was a secondary child, and think about it in this manner. What did Abraham and Sarah do? They tried to do on their own. By their own works, they tried to create an heir. But that goes against the promise that God had that Sarah would be with child and the heir would come through them. And so Ishmael is not a part of the promise because that was done by their very own hands, their very own effort, their very own works. <laughs> Isn't that unreal to think about how this is all unfolding? We also know that Abraham, he got had another wife, and his name, uh, her name was Keturah, and they had children together. But again, the promise was not through the children born to Hagar or Keturah, but the promise was through Isaac, who would be the child born to Sarah. This child that was born when Abraham was a hundred years old. All right, when the belief that both Sarah and Abraham's bodies were well beyond childbearing years. That this child was born and the promise would come through Isaac. And so that's what Paul is saying here, is the word of God, the promises of God didn't fail. You, Abraham had the child, Isaac, but he also had Ishmael. He also had these children with Keturah, but they were never, ever, ever included in the covenant that God made with Abraham way back in Genesis 11 and Genesis 12 and Genesis 17. And so even though they were born, they, they carry the same DNA as Abraham, they're not the children of the promise. He refers to them as the children of the flesh. And so there's a distinct difference between the two. And so because the promises came through Isaac and not these other children, they were not the ones chosen by God. Do you see, do you see how this is all unfolding? Uh, he, uh, Paul gives another example. He gives the example of Jacob and Esau. All right, and so uh, we know the story of Jacob and Esau. And, but 
it says, look at this is so vital because none of it is based on what another person did by giving their birth right away for, 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 you know, some, a meal. It's got nothing to do with what Jacob and Esau did because that choice that God made was listen to verse, uh, verse eight and on. Uh, he says, uh, this is not children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise is regarded as descendants. For this is the word of promise. At that time, I will come and Sarah will have a son. Not only this, but there was Rebecca also had conceived twins uh, by one man, our father Isaac. For through the twins, for though the twins were not born yet. And, and what Paul is saying is that Abraham, he had a child with Sarah, who was Isaac, then Rebekah and Isaac, uh, who the covenant passed through to Isaac, then had twins, Jacob and Esau. They had their little discussion about birthright. But before those two twins were even born, God chose Jacob. And then we know the history that God chose Jacob, that the covenant came through Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. Those became the tribes of Israel. And then you have the nation of Israel. And Paul says right here in these verses, here's the entire point of this. The entire point is that it is all done by God's choice or God's election, and it is not done by anything that we could do. One scholar uh, described it this way. He says, we cannot explain the relationship between man's choice and God's purpose, but we know both are true and both are taught in the word of God. Of God. And that's where it's so vital for us to, if you want to stop and take a rabbit trail that is an important rabbit trail down the path of the doctrine of election and looking at the individuals, because that's where the battle is stirring the pot the most. It's between man's responsibility and God's choosing. We're going to address that a little bit in the next few minutes. But this is why it's so important to go deeper. But context is king here. Context will be king through this entire passage because Paul, remember, as the chapters break down, chapter 9, Israel's past, chapter 10, Israel's presence, chapter 11, Israel's future. Paul is laying out for us here in chapter 9 how the nation of Israel became the nation of Israel, and it was all by God's choosing and not by anything that those individuals could have done. It's all by God's choice. God has purposed it this way, and he, had, he elected and he chose Abraham from the beginning, and through Abraham and Sarah, an heir, Isaac, 
who bore twins, Esau and Jacob. And before Esau and Jacob were ever born, God chose Jacob. And the covenant continued through Jacob to the 12 tribes, to the 12 sons, became 12 tribes, who became the nation of Israel. All God's plan before they were even born. And so Paul is saying here that, again, the choosing of you people, my heart is grieved for you, Israel. My heart is sorrowful for you, Israel, because you had all of the privileges of being God's chosen people from the very beginning. You are the ones who were adopted. You were chosen by God. You were picked out of all of the nations to be God's people. You were given the glory of God. You saw the glory of God hover over you in the tabernacle, in the temple. You have the covenants that I gave, that God gave through Abraham, Moses, and David. You were given the law in a way to approach me in a very sinful world. You were given uh, the model of worship and how to worship me. And you were given all of these promises, yet Israel, you neglected them. It's not the word of God that has failed. It is you people are the ones who have failed because you failed to recognize that my promises were true. That's what God is saying to these people. That's what Paul wants Israel to know. This is why his heart is so grieved. He knows the end result for the Jewish people if they don't come to salvation by faith. He knows it is the wrath of God, and that's why his heart grieves. Because they are God's chosen people. They're not an ignorant and unknowing people. They had the word of God. They had the oracles of God before them. They knew the law. They knew the truth. They made promises. And here they have rejected God. Now let's look at the, the final aspects, and we've got to cover these fairly quickly so that we're not here together all day. Uh, we have uh, these questions that come. There's three questions in total that we'll, we'll look at. The third one is a pretty quick one, and, and the first one. All right, so let's look at the questions, and they are found in verses 14 to 33. All right, so let me, let me read the first question for you. Uh, what shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? <laughs> May it never be. So uh, I've reworded some of these questions for you so that we can uh, make sense of what Paul is saying. He's basically saying uh, there is, uh, his answer is, there's no injustice with God. The question being, is God unrighteous? Uh, some other ways that this uh, can be questioned is, how can God choose some people for salvation and not others? I'm sure that however long you've been a Christian, that that question has come to mind. You can't help but think about those things. Even when you're sitting around your dinner table at one of the special holidays of the year. Remember, we're not going to look at those specifics of individual election, but the question must come up. How can God choose some people for salvation and not for others? Look around your dinner table. 
you probably have people that are saved and not saved, and you can't figure out why some people are not saved, and it's not our responsibility to to figure out why they're not saved and why God hasn't chosen them. Our purpose is we have no idea if God chose them, so keep giving them the gospel, and Lord willing, they're going to hear the gospel and be transformed by the gospel. But Paul answers that question very simply. He says, for he says to Moses, uh, verse 15, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So that it does not depend on man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, uh, for this very purpose, I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires. What Paul is saying in this is very important. This is why even I want to encourage you to go back and do Romans part three, because before when we were teaching through Romans part three, precept upon precept, we looked at the attributes of God. We looked at how God was all powerful, all knowing. He's present everywhere, but he's also sovereign. And that he is in complete control And one of the other things we saw, and we've looked at it in the podcast, is that God is just. And what Paul is saying here in these verses in 14 to 18, and he's using the example of Moses and Pharaoh, is that God is both sovereign and just in his actions. His choice is not based on our actions or our merit. You see, because God is God. And God can do whatever he wants to do according to his will. He says that God is the one who gives mercy. Now, if you think about it this way, if we look back to the beginning of the book of Romans and the beginning of our podcasts, we know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life. You see, nobody deserves God's mercy. And nobody can condemn God for who he chooses. But God has extended his mercy, and in this case, God chose Israel. And so it's got nothing to do with our our own actions or our own merit. God is sovereign and he is just. He says he'll have compassion on those he has compassion so that it will never depend on man. Everything depends on God. Let's look at the second question that comes out of it. This one's, this one's a little bit longer. Uh, verse 19 to 29. So 14 to 18 is question one. Question two is 14 to 29. Uh, but listen to the question. You will say to me then, all right? So after uh, is God unrighteous, you'll say to me then when I tell you that God is sovereign and he is just, your next question to me will be, why does God still find fault? 
for who resists his will. You know, just digging into the side because what Paul what Paul is coming back with is remember that it's the doctrine of election. All right. So if we were to pause for a minute and think about the doctrine of election of individuals, well, I don't really have any choices. My entire life is robotic. There used to be a computer game called The Sims which uh, my brother-in-law and I used to play all the time. You click on the man, and the man walks and does whatever he wants. You make the man eat. You make the man use the washroom. You make the man go to sleep. You make him wake up. You make him work in the garden. All of these things are absolutely robotic, and you have no control over your life because God chooses everything that you do. No, no, man, man still has uh, responsibility, and that's not even... Uh, accurately talking about the doctrine of election that we're looking at here, uh, the doctrine of election, and listen to what uh, one scholar worded this question, why does God still find fault for who can resist his will? One scholar worded it this way, how can God blame anyone for sin and unbelief when he's already sovereignly determined that person's destiny? Destiny. Another scholar phrased it this way, how can God find anyone guilty? How can he charge anyone with guilt since his will is irresistible? Uh, Chapter 9, verse 20 is like one of those punch-in-the-face type answers. He says in verse 20, on the contrary, who are you? O man who answers back to God, the thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Uh, one, one, one scholar commented on, like, on this way, that Paul's basically saying, look, honest and good questions are good, but, but don't bring what I'm teaching back into my face to excuse your sin. Who are you to answer back to God? Well, Paul's going to build out the analogy here, and he's going to say, Paul answers this, and he says, he talks about the potter and the clay. Uh, These examples also used in the book of Jeremiah. He tells us in these verses that uh, God allows things to happen the way they do in the world for three reasons. He says in verse 21, Does not the potter have the right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? All right, so what's Paul going back to? He's saying, well, God chose and God chose. There's one who are the chosen people, the people chosen through the line of Abraham, and then there are those who were of the flesh, those other children that were born not of the promise. Who, who questions God over that? God is sovereign and just, in all of his actions, and he will do according to his will. Here's the three reasons that God allows things to happen this way. 
Verse 22, what if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured much patience, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Three things here, three reasons that God allows things to happen the way that they do, that why God chose or elected the two groups of people. One was to demonstrate his wrath. The second is to make his power known. And the third is to make known the riches of his glory. Oh, but God is treating people unfairly. He's choosing one group of people over another people. No. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Even though God chose Israel, they had all of these privileges. They rejected God. Through Adam's sin entered into the world. All born into sin. God's purpose in election make it possible for both Jew and Gentile to be saved by grace. By grace is the only way to be saved. What if God, although willingly to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured much patience, the vessels of wrath, prepared for destruction? He did so to make the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for the glory. Even us, whom he also called, not among from the Gentiles, our Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Uh, he says in Hosea, I will call those who were not my people, my people, and her who was not beloved, beloved. It shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There they shall be called sons of the living God. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sands of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. For the Lord will execute his word on the earth throughout thoroughly and quickly. And just as Isaiah foretold, unless the Lord of the Sabbath had left to us a posterity, we would have become like Sodom and Gomorrah, having resembled Gomorrah. Way back in Hosea, the prophet was already talking about salvation of the Gentiles. Isaiah tells us that not all Jewish people are going to be saved. Not all of the nation. But there is a promise from Isaiah about a remnant. A remnant of God's chosen people that will be saved. And so that brings us into the next two episodes, the promise of the 
what's in the present and the promise in the future. But Paul wraps up with one last question, and it's found in verses 30 to 33. What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even which it is by faith? What shall we they say about the Gentiles? Well, Paul says the Gentiles attained righteousness by faith. Verse 31, but Israel pursuing a law of righteousness did not arrive at the law. Why? Because they didn't pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. Jewish people tried to attain, still try to attain righteousness by their works, by attaining the law. Look what he says to wrap up this chapter. It says, They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. He who believes in him will not be disappointed. I can't help but think about this stumbling stone, and we know the stumbling stone is Jesus. We know that the Jewish people didn't believe. You know, I think back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry when John the Baptist was, was preaching, and he was preaching about the kingdom is at hand, and that the, the Messiah was coming, and he was, John was preparing the way. And then when John was put into, into prison, and this is after the baptism of Jesus, John, John gets out of the way that so Jesus can begin his ministry. And when, Paul, when John starts to get word about what Jesus is doing and healing and and teaching, and blessing people, and doing all these miracles, uh, John begins to ask, is that really, is that really the, the Messiah? Is, is that him? Kind of questioning, like, I should be looking for something else. What about when Jesus was entering into Jerusalem on the day of the triumphal entry uh, a week before he's headed to the cross. The people that were worshiping and, and Jesus purposely riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Were the Jews looking for something else? Were they looking for the Messiah who would ride in on a horse in the way that kings would ride into a place? Political leaders would be on their, their beautiful horses showing great power and strength as they enter in. Was, was Israel looking for a political refuge, somebody to take them out of the stronghold of the Roman Empire and somebody who would sit on the throne in Jerusalem in that present time and lead Israel? Were they really looking for a man who was coming and healing and preaching sins are forgiven? No, I think they were looking for the political leader. I think they were looking for the king of that time that would sit and save the nation of Israel. How do I know? Well, they put the Messiah on the cross and they crucified him. 
Jesus says when he was sitting at the top of the Mount of Olives that they missed the time of his visitation. You see, the Jews, they stumbled over Jesus because they were looking for something different. But you see, you got to go back to the beginning because the Word of God, the promises of God, they do not fail. Israel was an elect nation. They were given privileges that no other nation had. The nation failed to follow God. This entire chapter focuses on the sovereignty of God. But don't forget, man still has a responsibility, and that is to make wise choices. Jesus was present with the Jewish people for three years. He taught about the kingdom of God. The Pharisees, they questioned, they tried to trap him. And the more he answered from the scriptures, the greater the hate they had for him and they wanted to put him to death. They missed. They chose not to believe. They chose to pursue righteousness by their works. We have wise choices to make. Here's the reality of it all that Paul says. God's plan is going to go forward. His word does not fail. And that is for us as well. He is sovereign over all. He is just. Salvation is by faith and faith alone. There's nothing we can do to accomplish righteousness on our own. God's wrath is coming. His word does not fail. He will return. He will judge. And you see, disobedience results in missing out on the blessings that come from God. Yes, God is sovereign over all. God chooses but man also must make wise choices and choose obedience over disobedience. Father, we do thank you for the time that you have given us today in our, in our episode, and I pray that as we continue to build on our topic of Israel over the next two episodes, that you would uh, give us a greater understanding of these truths, but Lord, also help us to remember that you are sovereign and you are just that your word does not fail, that you have a plan. It's a good plan. It's a plan that includes Jesus. It's a plan that includes our salvation. But it's also a plan that includes judgment and wrath for those who choose disobedience. Lord, let this sink into our hearts that we may not be ever able to reconcile election and man's responsibility. It's like two parallel roads going down in the same direction. Side by side, Lord. But what do we need to know? You're sovereign and you are just. 
thank you again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We appreciate you in joining us in this series of Unlocking the Truth with Preset Ministries Canada. Visit our website, presetministries.ca, to find in-person and online studies and workshops that will further your journey in His Word and give you the tools to know God deeply and live differently.